My name is Mike Sayers, and uh, I've been gone for a couple months. Back. It's good to be back. I want to go straight into the Scripture tonight, uh, but first I'm going to pray. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, we come to you asking that you would open us up, our hearts, our minds. Open up our spiritual ears so we can hear what your Spirit is saying to each one of us individually. Because the Word is eternal. It's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. These stories will be with us into eternity. And Lord, you want to say something to us through them. And so, Lord, I ask that you would speak to us in a way that we can hear. And not just in a way that we can hear, but Lord, give us the energy, give us the courage to do something about it. And not just be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word as well. So take your Word and commend it to our hearts. We ask in your name. Amen. I'm going to go straight into the Scripture. We're continuing in the book of Luke. Uh, I've got pictures for those of you who like pictures like me. So uh, we'll go. Luke 13.10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. Stop there for a second. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. So that you know, the Sabbath is Saturday, if you didn't know, okay? It was the day of rest. And a synagogue was like a little church. It wasn't the temple. The temple was where there were big giant pillars and hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people came to worship and they did all the sacrifices. That wasn't where Jesus was. He was in a small little place, a teaching place. There were probably 500 synagogues in Jerusalem alone in Jesus' day. So it's where people broke up in little tiny congregations to learn uh, from the scriptures and to teach each other, okay? And a woman was there, verse 11, who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. I mean, no kidding. No kidding. She straightened up and praised God. Let's think about this for a moment. Eighteen years of being bent over. And it's not just a physical problem, it's a spiritual problem as well. It's a physical problem that's caused by a spiritual entity. What can't you do when you're bent over like that? What if you're married and you're trying to take care of children, fix meals, carry water to and from the town well. You can't look people in the eye because you're always bent over. How does that affect her relationship with her husband? Not just because she can't straighten up, but I mean hugs and kisses and all that kind of stuff become really 
awkward and, and painful even perhaps when you're bent over like that. And yet she's in church, which I think is amazing because some people would be giving God the middle finger, so to speak, if they had been suffering like that for 18 years, but not this woman. She was one of those who kind of suffers in silence and gets on with it. And she is set free. Jesus puts His hands on her and she straightens up. Notice the activity here. Jesus calls her to Himself. He puts His hands on her and she straightens up. Pretty amazing. Verse 14. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Now this guy is a coward. I just want to say right up front. Because if you got a problem with Jesus healing on the Sabbath, you should be addressing Jesus, not the crowd, for coming to church. I think it's very telling that he will not address Jesus man to man because he's a weenie. All right? But Jesus is going to enter into this fracas face to face. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for eighteen long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. A scene from church. A small place. This is actually uh, the only place it's recorded in the Gospels. The other three Gospels don't talk about this lady. Um, and uh, it's probably, I'm pretty sure it's Jesus' last recorded miracle inside a synagogue. Not saying he didn't do more, but this was the last one that we know of. He's just about months before his crucifixion at this point in terms of the timeline of his life. And now we're going to skip some verses. I'll come back to those next week. We're going to skip to chapter 14 because you'll sense a similar theme here. Luke 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Now, dropsy is a swelling. It's like uh, an uh, edema. It's a, a swelling of certain body parts, like maybe you're, you get a giant arm and hand, and then this hand is normal, or one leg looks like an elephant leg, and the other leg looks normal. Uh, it's a collecting of flu fluid in certain parts of the body. You'll see in some of these uh, little icons they've got the guy's, you know, belly is protruding because he's got 
fluid retention in his belly. So even ancient artists tried to be accurate in this. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Now Jesus doesn't even wait for them to get upset. This is Jesus like in your face. I'm doing this right now. As a matter of fact, let me ask you this question. What do you think? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Then they didn't give him an answer. They refused to answer him. And I wonder what Jesus' reaction was when they did not respond. My opinion, he'd be pissed off. Because their compassion was so small. Jesus heals him, sends him on his way. Verse 5, Then Jesus asked them, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. These guys don't know their words today. They're speechless as well they ought to be. All right. So, Jesus heals on the Sabbath. My wager is, is that we Americans living in the year of our Lord, 2015, can't understand why this will be a problem for anybody living at the time Jesus was walking around and these miracles took place. Like, we just don't get it. I think part of the reason that we don't get it is because we know the rest of the story. We know that Jesus is crucified, that he is risen from the dead. We know that uh, the church explodes with Pentecost. We understand who Jesus is. We have 2020 hindsight. We're looking at all this in the rearview mirror going, man, Jesus was amazing. The Son of God. God became flesh. I mean, we get it, right? They didn't get it. So that's part of the reason. But another reason we can't understand the rest of the story is because... Um, we don't care much about keeping the Sabbath holy, really. I mean, we understand that Jesus' credentials allow him to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and for whichever reasons he decides he wants to do them. But when it comes to keeping the Sabbath holy, it's like, what is that all about again? Is it... I mean, we know that, you know, back in the old days, businesses used to be closed on Sundays, the Lord's Day. I mean, like, like Chick-fil-A does still. You know, does that have something to do with keeping the Sabbath? Because that's about all we get, right? We're not really sure what it means to keep the Sabbath holy. Most of you probably have seen the film Chariots of Fire. How many people have seen the film Chariots of Fire? Okay, great. 
Um, if you haven't, it was an Academy Award winner, Best Picture. I highly recommend seeing Chariots of Fire. But it tells the story of how this Scottish runner, Eric Little, who was one of the fastest men in the world at that time, um, refused, based on his Christian principles, to run the quarterfinal heats on Sunday, thus disqualifying him from the 100-yard dash in the Olympics in Paris. So this threw everybody into a tizzy because, you know, their fastest guy won't do it. But he, he, he stands firm. He goes, that's the Lord's Day. I don't play soccer on the Lord's Day. I don't run on the Lord's Day. He was a committed Christian. He became a missionary. For him, Sunday was a day to be kept holy, a day where you, you focused on Jesus, where you read the Scriptures, where you went to church, you, you, you sang to God, you praised Him, uh, you did good things for people. But, you know, it's not a day for just doing regular work or even leisurely pursuits. Now, if you watch the movie, you'll see that what happens is, is they have to switch him from the 100-yard dash, which he's trained for, to the 400-yard uh, run. And uh, he ends up winning gold in that one. Someone hands him a note from the track area. It says, in the good book, it says that God honors those who honor him. And so we think, well, it's great. Eric Little, the committed Christian, kept the Sabbath in his own way, and God honored Eric because Eric honored God. But here's the problem. We have Christian athletes today who don't care about playing on Sunday. They're just thinking, okay, as long as I take one day off every seven, I'm good. There's a divine rhythm here, and I'm going to take one day off every seven days, my day off maybe on Tuesday. And so, Denver's probably most celebrated Christian athlete in history, Tim Tebow, had no problem playing in games on Sunday in the NFL. Which, who knows, maybe that's why he got cut. I don't know. All right? Or another Christian, Peyton Manning, has no problem playing in the Super Bowl on Sunday last year, which may be why we lost. I, I don't know. I mean, I can't, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right? I kid. All right, enough of this speculation. But Christians in the USA have taken this like one day off for, for every, every, uh, every, every week, which usually means to have some fun, get some stuff done around the apartment or the house that you can't get done when you're at your job the other six days. Now, that is an anemic view of the Sabbath. All right? It is a weak view of the Sabbath, of the Lord's Day. I mean, Christians have switched... Sabbath, which is Saturday, to Sunday, which is the Lord's Day, for three reasons. I don't know if you knew this or not, but let me tell you why Christians celebrate the Lord's Day on Sunday. Number one, because Jesus rose on a Sunday. We thought that was pretty significant. Number two, because the Holy Spirit came to the church on a Sunday. We thought that was pretty important too. 
And number three, because the early church began to celebrate and have services on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, like the Apostle John talks about at the beginning of Revelation. In the, on, the Lord, in the Lord, on the Lord's Day, I was in the, caught up in the Spirit. So, so historically, Christians have moved their Sabbath to Sunday. Fine. We don't get it. We do not revere the Sabbath. It's For us, it's a day to go up in the mountains. It's a day to go to the museum. It's a day to go to the park. It's a day to go to the water park. It's a day to fix some stuff around the house. It's just that. It's just not what God intended. Maybe we'll go to church. Maybe not. All right. So in our scripture reading today, the guy who's ruling the synagogue is upset because he feels like Jesus is breaking the fourth commandment. If you don't know what the fourth commandment is, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, this is what it says. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or your maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. Even undocumented aliens in ancient Israel got a day off every week. And I'm all for that happening now. And so you might ask, so what's the big deal? I mean, Jesus really isn't working on the Sabbath, is he? I mean, he's not charging for this healing business. I mean, all he did was, like, call the lady up front and lay hands on her. I mean, there wasn't a lot of sweat going on here. I mean, all he's doing is helping somebody. What's the big deal? Well, you see, if you lived back then, you would know that the Jews had been trying to figure out how to keep the Sabbath holy. Like, they really wanted to do it right. They didn't, didn't want to cross. It's like saying, oh, I don't want to commit adultery. You know, you get married, you take a vow to be faithful, right? Well, if you're a Jew, you take a vow to keep the fa- Sabbath holy. And it was, it was as important as not committing adultery. Maybe more important. And so they tried to put these rules around it to make sure they were good. Like, one Pharisaic rule held that an animal could be let out to water. You could take your animal to water it, because they would die without water, as long as you didn't put any kind of burden on the back of your animal and do two things at once. Like, oh, I'll take this donkey out to get water, and at the same time, I'm going to move this bale of hay over to where I want it. No, you can't do that. What's more is, another rule said that you could go and you could draw the water out of the well. So you could, you could, you know, grab the rope and pull the bucket out of the well, or you could reach down in and fill up your jar. You could pour it into a trough, and that's all you could do. But if you held the bucket in front of the donkey so he could lap the water out, then that was too much work. You're breaking the Sabbath. Another Pharisaic rule said 
that um, you were only allowed to medically treat a man, if you were a doctor, uh, you were only allowed to medically treat a man if his life was in danger. That's all. If he was just in pain, well, God knows he's in pain. God understands what day of the week it is. And God will guide him through it, and he can get treated on Sunday, not Saturday. Seriously, it's what they did. If your kid was suffering, you shouldn't do too much work to help him because then God might get ticked off because you're breaking the Sabbath. Bad things might happen to you. But it's okay if your kid's about one door away from death. Then you can do something. So this is the way the synagogue ruler is thinking. Like, we think he's crazy because we're Americans in the year 2015. We don't get it. We don't get it. I'm telling you, you do not get this passage. I do not feel this passage. We think it's stupid. But for them, it was a matter of loving God. So Jesus employs an argument which is basically called lesser to greater. In other words, if you can release an animal from its bindings and take it out to get water on the Sabbath, how much more should I be able to loose, untie, a woman who has been bound up by Satan for 18 years on the Sabbath? She's a daughter of Abraham. Jesus says, this kind of suffering is caused by the same supernatural, dark, spiritual being who has caused us all, you all, to sin. Us as in me and you, you as in us, not Jesus. And I love the fact that the woman doesn't come looking for Jesus to be healed. I mean, she's just there. Praise God. Suffering in silence. Jesse Girl said she represents to her people who have consistent problems and choose to suck it up and not complain. Which is what Jesse's like if you know her. And so Jesus pays attention to those kind of people, which I think is awesome. You don't have to whine and complain, He knows your need. And so the message of Jesus to these synagogue people is that it wasn't only about Sabbath-keeping and not only about their hypocrisy, but it was also about how men and women ought to relate to one another. He calls her a daughter of Abraham. He is lifting her up as a fellow heir of God's promises. They are, in Jesus' words, the meek who will inherit the earth. There are none more meek in that culture than women and children. And they are the righteous who will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father, as Jesus said in Matthew 13. So Jesus is lifting women up here to a level of being co-heirs, inheritors of the promises of God along with men. Radical. Absolutely radical. 
And the same with the guy with dropsy. Jesus argued from lesser to greater. If it was okay to help an animal, then it's okay to help a human being on the Sabbath. So Jesus is saying, you guys are hypocrites because you live by the spirit of the law, not the letter of your law for animals, but for people, you're going to live by the letter of the law. Let me repeat that. That for animals, you're going to live by the spirit of the law. You're going to do what's right. But for people, you're going to live by the letter of the law. You better not cross that line. It is my opinion that Jesus would be no less angry with us here in the USA who make it highly illegal to mess with the nest of a bald eagle or with its eggs and yet have no problem aborting a human fetus. The same logic applies. I don't see Jesus having a different opinion today. So here's where the breaking good part comes in. Jesus is creating conflict. He's coming in a situation and good is breaking in. It's better when he left it than when he entered. He caused something to happen. And he didn't come to bring peace in this case, but probably a sort of division between people in the synagogue. Certainly between the people who were ill and between the synagogue ruler and the Pharisees. Whenever you see good breaking into the lives of people, you're going to see some negative reactions. Whenever the truth comes, conflict normally results. I remember uh, talking to a young man who was convinced that the Lord wanted him to stop sleeping with a, his girlfriend, whom you know he was not married to, obviously. And when he told her that he was going to stop sleeping with her because he felt like this is something Jesus had asked him to do, conflict happened. All of a sudden, she felt judged. She thought he was being hypocritical. This is what happens when good breaks in. The Sabbath was made for humans to give them rest. It's a good thing. All of God's commands are good. Trust me. If Jesus asked you to stop sleeping with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, it would be for good. Good things would happen as a result. Same with the Sabbath here. So Jesus is looking at their Sabbath practices and he's saying, you created a system of self-righteousness that I've got to confront. And that's why they killed him. And that's why they killed the apostles after him. Because he was exposing their hypocritical practices. There are only two ways you can come to God. Either you come to God on your own merits... Or you come to God on the merits of Jesus. You, you can't do both. Either you come to God on your own merits, or you come to God on the merits of Jesus. 
And when you tell people you can't come to God on your own merits, they get ticked off because you're saying, well, you're saying I'm a bad person? <clears throat> no, I'm not saying that. Jesus is saying that. Your efforts to be good, your efforts to come to God on your own are actually hindering you from coming to Jesus. The things that you're doing to try and make yourself a better person is somehow in God's sight are actually working the opposite effect and bringing you farther away from Jesus. Jesus said, come follow me. I am the better way. In, that, in fact, I'm the only way. I'm the tr only way. I'm the tr only truth. And I'm the only life you're ever going to have. So Jesus is tough on the synagogue ruler and the Pharisees for good reason, because he loves them and is trying to blast them out of their self-righteous calcification. They have built a fence of their own design all the way around to protect themselves from doing anything wrong. And Jesus is trying to blow a hole in that fence to free them from that prison. He wants them to love as He loves the woman who's bent over. To love as He loves the man who has dropsy. Not to put rules above people in this regard. Men made rules above people. It is their lack of faith, honestly, that makes them believe that the heart of God is so small that he's not going to break man-made rules to help people. But God will if it will help them. As a matter of fact, it's their day. He doesn't want them to wait a day longer. He's not going to say, come back on Sunday. I'll hear you on Sunday. You know, I'm, you know, I'm a healer. It's also my business card, healer, miracle worker. And, uh, you know, this is my job. This is what I do day in and day out. So, tell you what, you come back tomorrow. Office hours. My day off is on Saturday, the Sabbath. Okay, so I've been wondering about how this might apply to us. And this is difficult because um, we're, uh, we're just so far away from the Sabbath. So I've been thinking, like, what are the scum-made rules that we have? The things that we've made, what are the, what are the scum-made rules? What are the boundaries that we put in our lives to help us feel like we're doing the right stuff, doing the good thing, making the hip and cool choices, you know? Yeah. I'm 29 years old, still wearing the wallet chain like I was 28. You know, what are the things that we're doing to make us feel like we're still with it? Now, I had a guest speaker I invited. This is years ago. And he had to learn that a headset microphone with a little ball on the end there, that was not cool. I mean, he wanted a headset mic because he moves around a lot. You know? But no, no, no. The headset microphones, those aren't, those aren't good at scum. Those are somehow slick. You know, Britney Spears-ish. I don't know what it is. We're not going to like those, but, but we, we go rather with the, the kind of a retro look with the microphone stand and the microphone, and then somehow that's more righteous. 
I kid you not, there was an argument in staff about when we came to this building, whether to have overhead projectors with the cellophane, you know, things you put on, or whether to use uh, PowerPoint and Keynote on a projector like that. I mean, like, why? Because somehow overhead projectors harken back to a day when we were less slick and it was more righteous. I kid you not. Worship leaders said, absolutely not. We are not doing that again. Like, you know, it's bad enough when the, when, when the projector guy can't find the right slide that's on the computer, but you know when he's like going through the file looking for the right cellophane thing to put up there? Here at SCUM, we all want society to recycle, to buy organic food, to care about the environment. We think we should give rides to people. Uh, we should give people food. But here's a question. What if we had a bunch of people who came to church and started attending who could care less, who couldn't care less about recycling? Like they use styrofoam all the time, you know, threw it in the waste basket. Oh my gosh. Ate food that had pesticides spread all over it. You know? That's what I'm talking about. What if these people started coming to scum? <laughs> Thanks, Larry. I appreciate that. We would wonder whether these people really were Christians. You know, this is why I almost wore a suit and tie to preach tonight. I almost did, but it's just, so, you know, it's so hot. You know, I just go, I can't do that. But I thought, that would put you guys off. You wouldn't know what to do with that. Mike up here looked like he's going to a funeral or a wedding or something. I, like, what's he got a suit and tie on for? Just to mess with you, I would have done that. I just sweat too much. I mean, I've said this before about, you know, what happens when the, the, the dude comes in with the docker trousers, the pleated docker trousers, you know, and the, uh, the polo shirt, right? I mean, one of my favorite memories of all time is when former Governor Bill Owens was here, sitting about where Phil and Mary Alice are, and behind him was Marcus Hyde. And, 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 and I did, which I very rarely do, like I did today, I said, everybody stand up and turn around and say hi to the people around you. And Marcus Hyde and Governor Bill Owens are shaking hands. It was amazing. This, I mean, if you know Marcus, he's about as crusty as you can get. Lives in a tiny house, doesn't bathe, he's got a big beard, you know, I mean, just weird tattoos. And, and he just, uh, he's just great. I love Marcus. If you don't know him, I mean, Marcus is one of the coolest guys I've ever met. I mean, he's got a real strong anti-authoritarian bone uh, that runs right down the middle of his back. I mean, he actually one time was pissed at a pastor in Colorado Springs and um, uh, went and threw a cream pie at the guy while the guy was preaching. And, and I mean, that's, I mean, how he's a man of conviction. And, and to see Marcus shake hands with Republican Governor Bill Owens was just wonderful with his 
Here we are, the body of Christ. But you see, that's what I'm talking about. We can't let those kind of things influence us. So the question I want to ask is, where does our scum dogma contradict the heart of God? Because to be successful in being cool is to be successful in something that doesn't matter. <laughs> and being successful in something that doesn't matter is failure. Being cool may just as well be a ticket to hell. It's about loving people. These rules that we have don't really apply. So, what are our scum-made rules that don't line up with loving people in Christ's name? We need to get rid of those. My second observation. That Jesus was in the synagogue again on the Sabbath. I don't know if you guys noticed that we've gone through the book of Luke that Jesus is in church a lot. You notice that? It's like every Sabbath, Jesus is going to the synagogue or the temple. If Jesus went to the synagogue almost every Sabbath, should we go to church just about every Sunday? If we want to be like Jesus? Like, what's important to him? Obviously, you're not going to teach Jesus anything if you're the synagogue ruler and you got the scrolls opened up and you're reading from Isaiah. What are you going to teach Jesus? You want to know what's weird for me? Is having Dr. Craig Blomberg in the congregation, my former teacher from seminary, a guy who's written more commentaries than I have children. And, you know, I mean... Craig does not learn a single thing from me or anybody else. And he still comes to church. And he looks for where God will speak to him, even through the stumbling preaching of Mike Sayers. And by the grace of God, sometimes he finds it. Nothing that I'm going to take credit for. And Jesus is in the synagogue every Saturday, every Sabbath. And we treat church attendance so cavalierly. I mean, church is obviously something that God instituted. I was glad, very glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord, the psalmist says. It is good for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity Forsake not the gathering of yourselves together, the Scriptures say, over and over again. We come together to learn from one another. We come together to worship and focus on Jesus, not our chores, not the museum, not the mountains. You see what I'm saying? I think it's important. Only because Jesus thought it was important. Trust me, no other reason. And once Jesus goes 
to church. Once he goes to the synagogue, what does he do? Here's the great thing. It appears to me that he tries to help people in the ways that he's gifted uniquely to help them. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, then I think we should try and figure out, okay, what ways has God gifted me? What can I do to help the people at church on a Sunday? What, why would God want me here? Shouldn't I do something to help? I mean, Nat and Genevieve obviously have figured that out for them. They'll lead worship. It takes practice. It takes time. It's for us. This morning, Ryan and Samantha Miller volunteered their time to come and fix breakfast for the morning service. I mean, you know, it's, it, I don't know, it might be 100 people, 80 adults, 20 kids, I don't know. But they're fixing pancakes and eggs and bacon, and people are talking and laughing and having a great time, sitting out here eating, and, and they're back there in the kitchen sweating, it was an accident, and grease spilled all over Samantha's clothes that she had worn that day and her skin. They had to find clothes from somewhere in the building. Thank God they fit her. And she had to change because her clothes were ruined. And you know how it feels to keep serving when you're all greasy and sweaty? And, and she did it. They did it. They even started cleaning up. See, I think they're following Jesus. They're going, okay, we're going to come to church and we're going to try and figure out what we can do to help people, to serve people. That's your job if you're following Jesus. Jesus figured that out on the Sabbath. Why don't you? Maybe it's just having a conversation with somebody you never saw before. Maybe it's getting a broom and sweeping up. I, I don't know. Some people brought food. I know that wasn't enough, so Chris Francis just went out and bought more and brought it in. So we'll have enough. Thank you, Chris, for serving. And you know, it's not just about serving here at church. So I'm going to be wrong. I'm not... I mean, Jesus served wherever he went. But it, it, here, here's, here, here's the rub. It's serving on your day off. It's helping people when you should be recreating, right? So if you're up in the mountains, it's still time to help people. If you're at the park, it, it's still time to love people and help them. If you're at the museum, it's still time to do good things for people. If you're at the water park, it's still time to be nice to somebody. It's all about breaking good. It's about bringing goodness into that situation where people really aren't expecting it. My brother-in-law, Paul, uh, is a neurosurgeon. He was. He's retired now. And uh, for those of you who know anything about residents, once you graduate from medical school, you go into residency. Uh, some people call it an internship and you go practice being a neurosurgeon, right? So if you guys know Dan Craig from Morning Service, uh, Dan is a resident neurosurgeon right now, and the guy works 80 to 90 hours a week. It's ridiculous. It's like slave labor. He came to church this morning on 90 minutes sleep. I apologize in advance if I didn't keep him away. 
But Dan didn't have a chance to sleep because they work him so much. So my brother-in-law, Paul, the neurosurgeon, found out that he could go and he could, he could be a, a, a resident, an intern, in England, in the UK, where they have the National Health Service, they have socialized medicine, and, and then he could actually work Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, and have a full night's sleep with his wife and his kids. He thought, great, I'll do that for a year. And so he takes off and he goes there. And, you know, when the office closes uh, Friday night, you're done. If people have emergencies, they've got to go to the hospital, right? So you saw a patient on a Friday, and the guy had a brain tumor, and it needed to be worked on. And Paul knew it needed to be worked on. And it would be a whole lot better for the guy if he worked on him Saturday than if he waited until Monday. And so Paul contacted an anesthesiologist and uh, got the operating room reserved and went and did brain surgery on this guy on Saturday, his day off. Because that's what Christians do. They help people. Even it's your day off. When you're supposed to go out to the lake with the kids and the wife. Now, obviously, that was a matter of life and death, and most of us are not concerned with life or death matters, but let me tell you something. A kind word to somebody a random act of kindness. I was reading all these random acts of kindness last night, late, and, you know, they have people do amazing things. Just. Just look up random acts of kindness uh, in a Google search and read what people do all around the country and around the world. It will warm your heart. There's a group of ladies. They, uh, they for 30 years, they, their husbands had no idea that they were getting up and making these pound cakes, uh, you know, once a week in the morning and then selling them and then giving the money to people who needed them. They would actually go in the poor section of the town, see whose lights were not on at night, find out the address, and once they found the address, they'd go to the power company, they could pay the bill for the people whose power wasn't on. That kind of stuff. For 30 years, finally, one of their husbands said, where is this money going from the savings account? And they had to be, you know, found out. And the husband says, this is great. Let's join in. And then their kids got involved and says, we could take this online. We could sell your pound cakes online and even do more. And I think as of the time I, uh, the, of the article was written, they had given away $900,000 in the course of what they were doing. I thought, oh, I bet you Jesus is really pleased with that. Because that's the kind of thing he would do on a Sabbath in a synagogue when nobody expected him to do it. Say a prayer with me. Lord Jesus, you are good. Help us to follow in your footsteps. Help us to love others as you have loved us. Help us to put people before our own human-made rules. And help us to put other people ahead of our leisure time. 
In your name we pray. Amen.